All right. Hopefully there are no more audio issues so that I can get through the sermon. Um, but will you join me in prayer, please? Our Father in heaven, please help me as I talk about prayer to share true and meaningful principles of communication with you. Please help all those who are listening and watching implement these principles so that as individuals and as a community, we can experience the power and the significance and the joy of prayer. Please comfort those who are mourning. Heal those who are sick. There are so many people who are sick right now. Please be with the recovery. And inspire those who need purpose and direction. And give us peace during a time of great uncertainty and anxiety. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are picking up um, the series on the teachings of Jesus. So in the first um, one, we talked about the Beatitudes, uh, specifically the idea of the blessed are the poor, happy are those who are poor in spirit. Um, what does it mean to be humble and, 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 and wanting God? In the second one, we talked about that very serious and difficult challenge of loving our enemies. And today, we get to the part of the Sermon on the Mount um, of Jesus' teachings where Jesus talks about prayer. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus highlights a few important points about prayer in this passage. First, that prayer is personal. Jesus says prayer is not for show, to be to be done, um, to be seen, and to be applauded as, oh, you're so pious. Prayer is a personal thing, right? It's an intimate, private conversation between you and God. Nobody else knows if you've had it, right? No one is keeping tabs. It's just between you and God. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't a space for public prayer or group prayer. Praying with others um, and praying in public worship are important aspects of worship and spiritual accountability. But here Jesus is emphasizing the importance of personal prayer, right? Group prayer is great, but if you don't have personal prayer, then your spiritual growth has no roots. You know, someone once described personal private prayer as the roots that go deep. And what you see on the ground is, you know, what other people can see in public. And it might look great, but if you don't have that deep root that no one can see, then your spiritual life will wither. Even though it looks like everything's fine, um, it really isn't. Because And the reason why prayer is personal is because God is personal. He wants a personal, unique relationship with each one of us. He wants to hear what we have to say, even though Jesus says God already knows what's on our hearts and minds. So then the question becomes, well, if God already knows, what's the purpose of prayer, right? Why do we have to pray at all? And the answer is, we pray for the very same reason that um we talk to our friends and family about things, even though they might already know what's on our hearts and minds. That time spent together makes a difference because regular, honest, and personal communication is an essential part of any relationship. And it's actually quite an amazing thing that the God of the universe wants to listen to us. 
I mean, imagine if like a Nobel Peace Laureate or some a mentor that you really admire、um, offers to personally mentor you, right? Calls it gives you their business card and says, "Hey, I'm willing to meet with you regularly,、um, every day if necessary," right? And they say,、um, "Yeah, I really want to get to know you." You know, will we throw that business card away? Will we ignore their calls? Fail to show up to the meeting? And yet we snooze our time with God, right? We're like, ah, we'll we'll pray later. Okay, we'll we'll talk to.、Um, should I not go on the slide? Okay. Oh, okay.、Um, where was I? <laughs> we we snooze our time with God and postpone it because. We don't really value how amazing it is that God wants to talk to each one of us and wants to actually listen to what we have to say. You know, it's as a parent, I realize how amazing this is, especially because there's so many times when the kids want to talk to me or play with me, and I tell them, "Not right now, I'm busy." Right? Or I'll, I'll listen to it later. You know, I, I get frustrated because I don't actually have the patience and and the love to be able to say, "Oh yeah, tell me for the one hundredth time." You know, the same thing. Or yeah, I'll listen to you sing that song again. You know, or yes, I'll play with you on the trampoline even though it's hot. You know, like、uh, we have limited love as parents, but God is saying, "Hey, yeah, I want to hear about your day. Tell me for the one hundredth time what's on your mind." But the question becomes: Okay, well, if if God values that time with us, and prayer is not about informing God of something new, but about connecting with Him, how do we make that prayer time meaningful? So we're going to return to the text. So I'm going. I'm about to go on the slide. So I'm on the slide now. Is everything okay? They can't keep going. Okay.、Um, So yeah, when we go back to the text, Jesus says, "Hey, in verse seven, don't keep babbling, right?" He said, and and the reason why Jesus is saying that is because at the time and even today, so many people think that if they just say a lot of words, that it's going to mean something, right? That the longer you pray, the better it is. They can't hear me. No, just when it's on camera.、Um, go, no audio source. So can but oh, okay. So it should be okay now. Okay.、Um, where was I? Sorry.、Um, oh yeah. So. Yeah, the the text is saying don't babble on because prayer is not an incantation. It's not like you know a chant where you say the right magical words and then poof, your wishes come true. Prayer is about sincerity. It's about you know what's really going on, not not some meaningless repetition or empty you know words that we've memorized. You know, sometimes we repeat things so often that it becomes meaningless.、Um, last week during our evening family worship. You know, we asked Joshua to pray, and he went straight to dear Jesus. Thank you for the food. I mean, and then he caught himself and laughed. And and I realized, you know, it, that happens, right? It's happened, I'm sure, to others as well, where you're so used to praying a certain phrase over and over again that it becomes thoughtless and meaningless. You know, try next time you pray, praying without saying the words "Please be with me" or "Please be with that person." How many times do we say that phrase "Please be with"? 
without really understanding what it means? Do we understand the implication of what we're actually saying when we're asking God to be with us? Let me give you a quick example of what it means when God is truly with us. Around 1446 BC, a man named Moses was very troubled. He had gone through a traumatic and troubled past. He was born into a family of Hebrew slaves, adopted by an Egyptian princess, um, and then exiled from Egypt for killing an Egyptian while defending a Hebrew slave. And now he lived as a shepherd in the Arabian Prince Peninsula while tending his flock on Mount Horeb. And he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning the bush. The flames are just kind of in the middle of the bush without the bush burning up. So he's like, well, that's very strange. And so then he draws near and we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 3. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. There's something incredible happening here where God's presence is kind of terrifying because God is a holy God. And then God goes on to say, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites had reached, has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now at this point, do you think Moses said, yes, Lord, I will gladly go to the land that, from which I was exiled to the Pharaoh who wants to kill me and get him to, yeah, sure, why not free all the slaves that hold up their economy? <laughs> no, Moses is not pleased to, to, to have this calling. And so for the, re- for the next like 28 verses, Moses is giving excuse after excuse to God about why he doesn't want to go, why he can't go, you know, he's not the right person, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And God, says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give your brother, um, your brother will be there to help you. And all these reassurances until finally Moses, you know, <laughs> accepts this call. But I just wanted to give you this example, this illustration of this is sometimes what it means when God is with us, right? And God's presence, it challenges us out of our comfort zone because God comes to us who are happily doing our own thing and says, hey, you really want me to be with you? I want you to care about the suffering of, of others, right? I want you to, I'm going to send you, you know, you want to be a part of my plan. I want to send you to relieve the injustice in the world. And so when we ask God, please be with us, if we really meant it, right, we'd be giving God permission to challenge our lives and lead us towards his path. But a lot of times we don't really mean it. So of course our prayers are, are not meaningful or transformative. We just want God to do what we want rather than learning from God what he wants. And, and I'm saying that as someone who also struggles with prayer. So I'm not saying this to judge any of you. 
this is a rebuke to me that so many times our prayers are powerless and meaningless and we get nothing out of them because it's just a laundry list of what we want rather than really really connecting and engaging with God to to find out what he cares about and to be involved in God's will for for the world and for our lives even and every time i have prayed genuinely God, I really want to do your will, right? I really want you to be with me. I really want you to show me the way. And I meant it. I have never regretted where that has taken me. It has brought me to Australia. It has brought me to Melvin City Avenue Church. And um, it has brought me to where I am today. And if God, if I hadn't prayed these prayers um, and giving God permission to, to, to bring me out of my comfort zone, and to lead me on his way, I would not have met all of you wonderful people. So I'm challenging us in our prayers to, to first of all, be sincere and genuine, but also be willing to be bold, to really take on what it means to communicate with God and to connect with him and to listen to what he has to say. Jesus knew that his followers wanted more out of prayer, more out of their experience with God than what they were getting. You know, they were getting so much religion that was repetitions and rules and guidelines of what to do, what not to do, and how to live. But they were missing the spirit. They were missing that power of spirituality and, ex- and that missing that experience with God. And so then Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And so we get to this um, famous kind of, it's called the Lord's Prayer, um, but really it's Jesus' prayer for us. It's, it's the disciples' prayer, really. And this is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter nine, uh, 6, verses 9 to 14. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some late Greek manuscripts also add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This prayer, unfortunately, has become what Jesus didn't want it to become, which is mindless repetition, right? Some people memorize this poem and they repeat it every, you know, at the end of every service or at the end of um, every prayer. And if it's meaningful, that's fantastic. But a lot of times it isn't. It's just one of those things that you just recite. Um, but there's so much good principles in this prayer. There's so much um, we can take away and apply. And Jesus was providing this model or this example so that we can learn what prayer is about. So what does this prayer mean? What was Jesus trying to say? A helpful strategy when you read a Bible passage is to focus on one word at a time and really reflect on it. So I want to show you, um, I'm not going to do that for the whole thing, otherwise we'll be here forever, but I'm just going to illustrate with a few words. So for example, when we look at... um, let me just go to this one here. When we go to that first word, our, our Father in heaven. Our. Not my, not your, our. In fact, when you look at this entire passage, you will not find a singular, a single singular pronoun. It's all give us, forgive us, our debts, right? 
It's all plural. It's all communal. And I think this really highlights how we are all God's children, right? He's our collective father who gave us life and who helped us become like him. And this happens best in community. God designed us to be in fellowship. Something special happens when people who are diverse in culture and experience and perspectives and opinions and personalities, something special happens when this diverse group come together and, and instead of thinking about me, myself, and mine, start thinking about our, our world, right? The needs of our community um, and how we can do mission together. And so that one word, our, right, already sets the tone for this prayer, that this isn't just a prayer for me. This is a prayer for all of us, a prayer for our unity, a prayer for our wellness, our prayer for our um, ability or our uh, mission to do God's will together. And then if you look at the word, uh, the next word, our Father, Father, you know, he could have said God in heaven. He could have said Adonai, Lord. He could have used a lot of other words for God, but Jesus here addresses him as father. Not a draconian father who's distant and scary, but a loving, affectionate father. In the book of Hebrews, the writer calls God Abba, Father, which is the Hebrew word for daddy. Right, daddy. That term of warmth and security of a little child adoringly looking up at his daddy. Think about the most caring and attentive father you know. Maybe it's yours, maybe it's someone else's, maybe, you know, it's, it's someone you know, but think about the most caring and, and loving dad, daddy, you know. Picture that person in your mind. And God is even more loving than that person, even more affectionate and caring. And imagine that God saying, Hey, I want to, I want to spend time with you. I want to, laugh with you, right? I want to make you laugh. I want to, I want to, um, have that intimacy together. So you see how, um, emphasizing one word and just meditating and reflecting on it, how that brings to, to life these passages. So I've done the two examples. I'm not going to do that for the rest of it. Um, so let's move on to the phrases now. If we look at the next verse, it says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And, and basically, um, it's talking about, yes, God is in heaven, right? Our Father in heaven, He's invisible to us. But that doesn't mean that He's not with us through His Holy Spirit. And hallow or, or holiness, um, talking about how God's name is holy, His character is holy. The word holy really means He's unique. He's set apart. He's different. He has priority. So it means treating Him with the highest honor, not just with our lips, but through our actions and our choices and our attitudes and our priorities. And so Jesus is modeling here how when we um, approach God in prayer, we recognize that he's our daddy, but he's also this amazing creator, sustainer of the universe. Um, and so we treat him with love, but also respect and reverence and honor. Moving on, um, it goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
I really, for me, this is like the climax of the prayer because what we are truly praying for as followers of Jesus is that God's kingdom, right? His principles, his character, um, his love would be what reigns here on earth. And we're basically saying, let that happen. And we recognize that that can only happen when we are willing to do his will, when we're willing to obey, when we're willing to, to realize that prayer is not about getting man's will done in heaven, but about getting God's will done on earth. That even if we're reluctant at first, as Moses was, prayer is wrestling with God in our hearts. And, you know, it might take hours or days or months or even years until we finally say, your will be done. And that's okay to have that struggle. I think it's better to be honest with God through that struggle rather than praying, you know, all these wonderful flowery words about loving God and wanting to do his will and then going and doing the opposite and then coming and asking again for God, you know, to do your will rather than being hypocrites, right? It's better to say, God, I don't want to do your will, but help my unbelief, right? I don't want to obey, but give me your Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, right? Help me to to do your will even though I don't want to. And it's okay to have that struggle. You know, even Jesus on the night uh, before he got arrested was at the Garden of Gethsemane and he spent hours praying and crying and sweating and, 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 and um, suffering where he said, and I'm so glad these words are recorded to us in history, that he said the words, you know, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. I don't want to go through the crucifixion, right? I don't want to go through this separation from you. I don't want to go through death. And yet, not as I will, but as you will. And I love that Jesus has that prayer written down for us so that we realize it is okay to say, like we don't have to put on a smile and pretend everything's fine. We can say, God, I really hate this pandemic, right? I really hate what we're going through. But, right, may your will be done in the sense of may I participate with you in bringing about wholeness, bringing about well-being, bringing about peace for myself and those around me and for our community. Prayer is not about changing God's mind to do what we want. It's about God spending that time with us and changing our minds through His Holy Spirit to do what He wants. Prayer opens us up. So that when God answers, we know how to fulfill his will as unexpected as it might be. When God promised a Messiah would, that, would, that would deliver his people, the, the Jews were expecting a conquering king, not a helpless baby in a manger or a poor carpenter or a crucified preacher. God's will is often surprising and challenging and outside of the box. And only those willing to accept God as he was, as he is, as he will be, are able to bring his kingdom come to where we are in our present day, in our present circumstance. Prayer prepares us for God's answer so that if he says yes, we acknowledge and give thanks for that gift. And if he says no, we trust that he knows best. And if he says go, we obey. 
This also doesn't mean that we can't ask for what we want, right? Just because we're asking for God's will to be done doesn't mean that we can't ask for things that we actually want or care about. God knows that we have needs. So then in the next verse, God, uh, Jesus goes on to say, yeah, go ahead and pray for the things you need. He says to pray, give us today our daily bread. And this represents, you know, all the things that, that we need, um, our own needs. And, and But I want to point out also that it says, give us, us today, our daily bread. Some of us have more bread than we can eat today. Um, and that our bread it, it reminds us, hey, how about those who are hungry and suffering? Can we share what we have so, with them so that their bread, right, our bread um, can, can be uh, met, our needs can be met. And notice how the word also daily bread not bread for the next 20 years so that we can feel secure and sell it and invest it, but just our daily bread. Enough for today, knowing that God will provide tomorrow. When the Israelites were free from slavery, right? Moses um, with God and Aaron, you know, um, after dramatic experience, brings the, the Israelites out of slavery. And they're led into the wilderness by God. And the people are starting to wonder, well, how, how are we going to eat? We don't have any there's no towns to buy food. There's no food on the ground. We're not near any sea anymore where like, we can get fish. Like, What are we going to eat? And God actually sends down bread from heaven. So looking at Exodus chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, that is to be as twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now, some Israelites obeyed, and others didn't believe, so they tried to gather some more, but the morning was rotten. And then God uh, goes on to say, this is what the Lord commands. Tomorrow is to be a daily Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. It's so interesting, um, you know, to have this story in the Old Testament times because when Jesus was talking about the daily bread, right? He's talking to a Jewish uh, audience who would recall, right, the daily bread, the manna, they called it, that God provided to their ancestors in the wilderness. The daily bread, whatever manna fell that day, that's what they gathered, that's what they ate. And then on the sixth day, they were given twice as much to gather, so that on the Sabbath day, they could rest. This daily bread is a lesson in trust and obedience. Do we trust that God will provide for us as we obey Him? It's hard, especially as Sabbath keepers, to not feel like we're missing out. Missing out on those house auctions on Sabbath, or certain opportunities, or extra day a week to study or to work. But God knows our needs, and He's asking us to trust Him and obey, 
right? Six days, do your work, rest on the seventh day. And it's a show on our part that we trust and rely on him. Going back, so so whether it's our daily bread, you know, whether it's our finances, whether it's um, other physical needs that we have, God knows that it's important for us to ask for these things, even though he can provide without us asking. Once again, when we ask for these things and when they come, it gives us that chance to be grateful. And that's why we pray before meals, right? It's an opportunity for us to acknowledge that this food, sure, I bought it from Kohl's and cooked it and put it on the table, but we're acknowledging that God is giving us this daily bread, right? He has given us life. He's given us the ability to go to Kohl's and buy the food. Uh, he's given us these jobs. And so it's a reminder to always be grateful for what we have and not take it for granted, uh, recognizing that others don't have sometimes. Um, and once again, that challenge to share then, that God has, has given us that challenge to share our daily bread. Last bit here of the prayer is for our spiritual needs. So we pray for our physical needs, but we also pray for our spiritual needs where we forgive our debtors and we also um, ask for God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God knows that we owe a great debt to him and to each other. Despite our best efforts, we hurt each other by the things we say, by the things we do, by the things we don't say, and the things we don't do. And so we we have to we might, we might not always ask people for forgiveness. It's not maybe it's not appropriate or maybe it's not possible, but we certainly can ask God to forgive us. And this spiritual cleansing and healing is necessary for us to experience the fullness of God's mercy. Because when we harbor, harbor bitterness or pride, it hardens our hearts against God. And sometimes that's why we don't have uh, meaningful prayer and experiences with God because we have so much blocking the way that we're kind of clenching. You know, it's almost imagine you're, you're holding yourself back because you don't trust people and you can, it's hard to trust God when you don't trust people. And so God asks us to forgive and also to receive forgiveness um, from others so that we can receive forgiveness from God and be able to have that open heart towards him. And we ask for protection and deliverance from temptation and evil. Because it's real, the pull of temptation, I know. It's enticing and alluring and the path of least resistance, right? But it always leads to pain and suffering for ourselves and others. Maybe not in the short you know, run. It's fun, it's nice, it's pleasant. But long term, it really does not bring us to health in life. So prayer helps us to remember what we truly want. When tempted, it really helps in that moment when you are really tempted to pray and ask God, hey, what is the lie that Satan wants me to believe right now? What is the lie? And as we pray God and ask that question, God, what is the lie that Satan wants me to believe? Then God will bring to your mind that what is, what is the revelation of that lie? You know, maybe the lie is all oh, this isn't a big deal. Just do it. Not a big deal. Or maybe the lie is, ah, nobody will know, no, no harm, no foul. Or maybe the lie is, this is going to make you happy, right? This is, this is really what you need. But ask God in prayer, God, once you've identified the lie, God, what is the truth? What is the truth? And through prayer, you can choose to believe the truth 
instead of a lie, and that gives us victory over sin. Because of God's, the power of truth to set us free. Jesus said, you will know the truth and truth will set you free. Prayer helps us remember that somebody wants you to fail, right? Maybe many people want you to fail and Satan wants you to fail, but the battle belongs to the Lord and he will fight for us and, and we can call out for help. Um, and we can, we can just say, God, I'm helpless, right? I'm helpless. Help me. And just as Jesus reached out to grab one of his disciples named Peter who was drowning in the water, immediately, as soon as Peter cried out, Lord, help me, I'm drowning, Jesus reached out his hand and pulled him out. And he can do the same for us. We can have power and victory through prayer as we call out to God knowing that he's immediately there, our our daddy, our heavenly father, to help and rescue us. So Jesus gave us this model of prayer where we can acknowledge God's character and care towards us, right? Align our will to his, confess our sins, and ask for the physical and spiritual needs of ourselves and others. And this model is there just to give us these principles, but we can use our own words, right? And sometimes no words are needed. Sometimes the greatest prayers are our hearts cry towards God, silent but sincere. Sometimes my prayers are just me weeping, right? Where I just feel so convicted of something, of my own failures, right? Of my own um, shortcomings. That I just, I'm just feeling so overwhelmed with that, that, that sense of, I, I, I can't do this on my own. And, and, and when I'm in that feeling and I'm just crying, I don't have to use words. God knows how I feel. And he provides. There is no right or wrong way to talk to God in private prayer. There's no right or wrong place, no right or wrong time. You can sit or stand or kneel or lie down. You can whisper or shout or journal or sing. You can close your eyes or look up at the sky or type or draw, right? There's no um, set way to talk to God. There's a woman named Dr. Um, Hyveth Williams who used to be a staunch atheist uh, working in politics in the U.S., when one day she has a dramatic conversion experience as she starts reading the Bible and she wants to pray, but she doesn't know how. And so she's, she would open the windows and yell out towards the sky, Hey God, it's me, Hyveth Williams at 237 Main Street, California. Yeah, I'm making up that. But, you know, she would say her address because she wasn't sure if God knew, you know, where she was or who she was. And um, she tells us, she told this story, you know, chuckling now, but knowing that every one of those prayers were sincere and God heard every one of those prayers. She later became the first African-American female pastor, the first female senior pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. She served for many years in the local church before becoming a professor and now director um, of the Doctor of Ministry program at Andrews Theological Seminary, which is where I met Roy. And I remember her sharing this story as she talked about prayer, reminding us that prayer is talking to God as to a friend. Um, that's a statement from another uh, woman I admire named Ellen White. Prayer is talking to God as with a friend, sharing what's on your mind, listening to what's on his. I want to make an appeal for us to make 2022 a year of prayer. You know, I would love for us to pray together, but I want to start by saying, and this is something I can't hold you accountable for because this is just between you and God, but let's make 2022 a year where we have personal prayer. 
Maybe you can send a reminder on your phone. I, I set a timer on my phone for certain times in the day. And when it goes off, it reminds me to pray. Um, wherever you are, and when that alarm goes off, right? You can take a few minutes to pray. When I used to be awake at night, when the boys were younger, I used to pray while I was waiting for them to feed or sleep. Long hours at night, it's quiet. Well, except for the baby crying, but that's a time you can spend in prayer. Now that the boys sleep through the night, um, I can set aside time at the end of the day to type out my prayers. I type them out. I used to journal, but my hand gets tired, so now I type it out. Or sometimes when I'm driving, I pray by just talking out loud to God. So do whatever you need to do for you to be able to focus and be open with God. Um, ideally, not rushed, so that you can really listen to what God has to say to you as well. So try to set aside a regular time for private prayer. Next week, I'm going to share some stories and examples of the power of prayer um, in my life and in real people's lives to inspire us to pray. But I hope and pray that wherever you are right now listening or watching, you make a decision and you implement a plan of how you're going to make personal, private time of prayer a priority, a prior priority in 2022. Too many Ps. Um, but please join me as we close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father in Heaven, forgive us for not spending time with you in the past, for approaching prayer with demands or unbelief or nonchalance and Help us to be truly open to the power of prayer this year by seeking you, seeking your kingdom first. And help us to experience the joy of prayer, the peace and the power of connecting with you. Please heal those who are sick and recovering right now. Um, give them a speedy recovery. And um, I know there are multiple people um, in our community who are going through a difficult time, whether it's COVID or finances or travel needs. Um Father, please um, comfort those who have experienced loss and bring hope and healing. We pray in your son's name. Amen.